Phyllis Tickle was a great author and lecturer, certainly a wonderful person of faith. She passed away about two years ago now, but I've read her books for years, and I love the story she told when she was young. She was trying to get a job at the state, and in order to work at the state, she knew she would have to take the civil service exam, and she was going down through the questions when she kind of came to the part about mental health. And she knew that they were trying to weed out the crazies. And she went down through and there was a question that said, Do you believe that you're a special agent for God? Now she knew the answer, the correct answer they were looking for. Problem was, she really did believe that she was special to be used by God. But she really did want the job. And so she answered the question, No. But she said, I went away from there thinking about it. It's a good question to ponder. Do you believe that you are a special agent for God? Our scripture lesson this morning is about one of those stories that's probably one of the most famous in the Bible. It's Palm Sunday. Now, I know that Palm Sunday doesn't happen for two weeks. But the next two Sundays, we're going to be looking at stories that took place after Palm Sunday before Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection. And so I wanted us to look at Palm Sunday this week in detail. We'll come back and mention it again in two weeks. But Palm Sunday, what an important day. What I want you to understand, it was a day that you should not think about was just suddenly some sort of a miracle the way that everything happened. Most scholars believe that this day took place because of lots of special planning by Jesus ahead of time. Probably when Jesus had come to stay with Mary and Martha the last time, he went and found a friend and said, I'm going to need a donkey on which no one has ever sat to make a triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Now in those days, if you were a conquering king, you come home, you make a triumphal entry but you would be riding a horse and you would have your army behind you. The fact that Jesus wanted to make an entry into Jerusalem like a triumphal king, but was going to be riding on a donkey, well, that was a statement of humility. The statement of, I come not in the name of war and strength, but in the name of peace. And so he went and found someone and said, I'm going to need the donkey. Jesus knew when the Passover was, when that Sunday would be beforehand. And so he tried to line it up and say, all right, here's where I'm going to need you to leave the donkey. And then I'll send one of my disciples to come get it. If you see them, the code word's going to be, the Lord has need of it. And sure enough, on that day when it came, the disciples went to go find the donkey where it was supposed to be. And they found it right there. They started to untie it. And sure enough, the owner said, excuse me, what are you doing? The Lord has need of it. Take it, go. Now, we know if you read this story in Luke, but go back to Mark 11 or Matthew 21, you'll read the same story. You get more details when you read all three. All three go out of their way to tell this story. It was somehow an important part of the Palm Sunday story. The Lord has need of it. Also, understand, 
Jesus now has this donkey, and it says he's on the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives is a beautiful place. If you've ever been there, you know. What a great view of Jerusalem. It truly is up. You look out across the city. It is a spectacular view. It was from there that Jesus was looking out at the city. We believe the disciples went into Jerusalem and started spreading the word. Jesus of Nazareth is about to make an entrance. Millions of people came to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover every year. From all over Israel, from North Africa, other countries, people would come to celebrate the Passover. Everybody was talking about Jesus. Just remember, there was no mass media. People shared it by word of mouth, but people knew. There was this man named Jesus who, well, he had raised the dead. He helped the blind to see, the lame to walk. He fed the hungry. Everybody's talking about Jesus. This could be the Messiah. But few had seen him. Just like we saw last week in Jericho, as he comes into Jericho, the crowds form for a parade. They all want to see him. First time. Zacchaeus ran along, climbed up a tree. I want to see him. So they went in and spread the word. He's going to be coming down from the Mount of Olives. And so the crowds flock out to line the road so they can see Jesus. And so they get out on the road and here he comes riding on a donkey. They lay their garments on the ground. They cut their palm branches. They begin to wave them shouting, Hosanna, which means save us. Hosanna in the highest. Oh God in the highest, save us. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now what's happening there is really reminiscent of what's called the Hallel Psalms. If you go back into the book of Psalms and you go back to Psalm 1, uh, uh, from 113 through 118, you have the Hallel Psalms. The word in Hebrew, Hallel, means to praise. It's a part of the word, hallelujah, Yah, Yahweh, God. Hallelujah, to praise God. And so these are the Hallel Psalms. If you read in Psalm 118, Blessed is he who enters in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God and he's given us light. Bind the festal procession with branches up to the horns of the altar. There is this praise and celebration of God. And that's exactly what is going to be happening there on Palm Sunday. And the people see it and they understand it. Now, as I was getting all this clear in my mind, seeing Palm Sunday happen, the crowds lining the street, waving the palm branches, Hosanna, glory to God in the highest. And Jesus is riding in on this donkey. The thought occurred to me. Who is the guy who lent him the donkey? Haven't you ever wondered? He got a donkey. Who was the guy who gave it to him? Jesus had lined it up. There was the code word. The Lord has need of it. Some nameless person helped to create this image that has been so significant in the Christian church and we've told the story for 2,000 years 
and we don't know his name, some nameless person was a special agent of God who helped to create an image of peace. That's what Palm Sunday was about. It says Jesus came down the road and he stopped and he looked out over Jerusalem. It's a beautiful sight. And it says he wept. He wept when he looked at the city and he said, you do not understand what leads to peace. Your eyes are kept from seeing what leads to peace. Sure enough, 35 to 40 years later, the Jews would revolt against Rome. Rome would send its armies. Titus would be the general that would lead the the Roman soldiers to breach the walls of Jerusalem. Tens of thousands would be killed. The temple would be burned. Israel would cease to be a nation until 1948, almost 2,000 years later, before they would return to their land and be a nation. It happened in about 70 CE. 70. And Jesus had said, your eyes have been kept from seeing what leads to peace. I got to thinking about it. Can you and I be special agents of God that lead to peace? This morning, I want to continue on with this sermon series, Impossible Possibilities. For I believe, though it seems impossible, it is possible for you and I to be special agents of God that lead to peace. I want us to think about three things this morning. First of all, you and I can be special agents of God when we decide to look at everyone as a child of God. You and I live in a time right now that seems to always be us against them. Whoever us is, there always seems to be us against them. We are so divided, so entrenched and dogmatic against one another. It's us against them, Republicans or Democrats, Christians, Jews, Muslims, black, white, Hispanics. Whether it's going to wind up being America against Korea, Gays, straights, there's always an us. And we're against them. And what we forget is that God created them as well as us. However we decide, divine ourselves, us, God also created them. And what does it mean to show compassion and a sense of respect to all of God's children? You know, I've been telling you about Henry Landworth. I, I think he's such an amazing guy. Now 90 years old. 90 years old and living down in Florida. I told you how Henry was 13 years old living in Poland when Hitler came to power and his family was swept up and he was taken to, to um, Auschwitz. He would be there for five years. His mother and father would die. His sister and he would both survive. A miracle. 
could get out when he's 18 years old. I told you how he came to the United States and all the strange, amazing things that happened, how he'd make it to Florida, become the manager of the Starlight Motel, come to know all of the original seven astronauts, own a chain of Holiday Inns, become a multi-millionaire, and in the end create Give Kids the World, a a place where more than 100,000 families have come with their children who are terminally ill to experience Orlando and Disney World. But he gives to so many charities. He is this incredibly kind, generous, compassionate man. But he tells when he made the decision to be that kind of person. It's when at 18 years old, he managed to get out of the war came to an end. He got out of the concentration camp. He has nothing. He is wandering through Germany along a river trying to get out of Germany. And as he is trying to get out, he comes across a young young teenager who is dressed as a Nazi youth. You know, Hitler was always trying to create his Nazi youth and put them in uniforms. And he said he could tell this kid was proud. And when he saw him, all that repressed anger welled up. He went over and he grabbed this kid by the neck. This kid, you could see the terror in his eyes. He held him by the neck and then he told him to strip off all of his clothes. It's just what the guards had told him many times before. He took that uniform and he threw it into the river. And then he stood there trying to decide, do I squeeze the life out of him? Do I kill him? But he said he had not lost his faith and his faith would not let him do it. And he finally turned this boy loose and said, run. It's just what the guards had told Henry not long before. And this kid ran. And Henry said, I got to thinking about it. In some ways I was taking a little revenge and it was not satisfying And he said, I stood there and thought about my faith and I made the decision that from then on, as long as I lived, I would show compassion to whoever I dealt with, whether family and friend or whether enemy or foe, I would show compassion to all of God's children. And it is how he has lived the last 72 years of his life, whether when he was poor or rich, powerful or powerless, he has chosen to live in this incredible spirit of compassion for all of God's children. You may have read the article in the newspaper just recently that I thought was fascinating. It was about the mosque down in Florida that was attacked and burned. And after the mosque was burned, There was all kinds of donations that started coming in to trying to help them to rebuild. And what they started noticing was that they were getting a lot of checks for $18, um, for um, $36, for $72. This weird, either $18 or combinations thereof. And I thought, that's strange. Why aren't they giving $25, $50, $100? And so they started going back and looking at it and they came to realize that these checks when they came in at these numbers of 18 or multiples thereof were from people like the Goldbergs, the Rosenbergs. And they thought, 
these are all Jewish surnames of people who are giving to the mosque. They started trying to push a little further and what they came to learn was that every Hebrew word winds up having a, a numerical value. And the word Chaim, Chaim, it means life. It has a numerical value of 18. If you've watched different movies or you've been to Jewish weddings, you will hear a toast or a prayer. L'chaim. L'chaim. It means to life. Live well. Live long. And every time a Jewish family sat down and wrote that check for 18 or 36 or 72, they were saying to their Muslim neighbors, live well. Live long. It's not a denial. There are differences. We sometimes look at things different, but are we not all children of God? What a statement. As long as we live in a world of us versus them, Pharisees against the scribes, the Sadducees against the zealots, Jews divided among one another, Jews all hating the Romans. It was all about us versus them. And Jesus said, we're all going to be sorry in the end. God didn't create the differences, we do. And so secondly, you become a special agent of God when out of thanks for God's grace, you choose to live in a spirit of gratitude. You live with gratitude. For when you live gratefully, you are going to be blessing life and you never know how God is going to use you and whose life you begin to touch. You know, just recently we had our youth all heading off on mission trips and it's always a great experience for the kids. I mean, this year we had our senior high heading off to Toronto and they got to have a lot of fun being there for the kids. It's an inner city mission. They said it was pretty crazy very moving, but they also got to see things like Niagara Falls and some of those kinds of things. And then we had our middle high. They went down to Dallas to Trinity River Mission. We've gone there several years and developed a rapport in working with inner city children. But as back on that Tuesday of that trip, it was March the 14th. And if you know what March the 14th is, that's Pi Day, 314. And so they were down in Dallas on Pi Day, and that night after they got through with their work at Trinity River Mission, they went to Norma's Cafe and Pie Shop. And so that's where they went that night for dinner. When they came in, it is, you know, there's a large crowd. They couldn't all sit at one table, so they sat at multiple tables, but they all were in the same room. And they had one waitress, and she was running like crazy to try to take care of all of our middle high. Well, as it turned out, her name was Stacy. The kids checked on it and found out it was with E-E instead of Y on the end. They wanted to be accurate. But when it came to the end of the meal, they wanted to write her a thank you note. You see, Amy Givens, our youth director, wanted to make sure and has been working hard with our kids to say, this is the year of gratitude. And you're expected to be writing a note of gratitude every day. 
She told all the counselors, we have extra thank you notes with us so the kids can be writing as many notes of thank you as they want to. But we're requiring write at least one every day. You need to make sure they have plenty of thank you notes. That's what we've been talking about. I've been asking you every day, start each day giving God thanks for three blessings you feel you received. And then make sure every day you express gratitude to someone around you. Write that thank you note. Send that email. Live in a spirit of gratitude. Well, the kids had been there. They'd been watching Stacy running so hard. And so they came up with the idea, why doesn't each table write her a thank you note? It's very much what John Kralik talked about in his book, 365 Thank Yous. You remember how he said, thank the people who serve you. Whether it's the barista in a Starbucks whether it's the person who checks you out, whether it's the barbershop, thank the people who are always serving and taking care of you. Well, the kids had that idea. And so each table wrote a thank you note to Stacy. And when the meal was over and she came by, the table, first table gave her the thank you note. And when she got it and saw what it was, her eyes filled with tears. And then she went from table to table and every table had her a thank you note. And then she said to the kids, you have no idea how difficult life has been. You have made my day. Other patrons saw what was going on, and they too were incredibly inspired. They came up to our sponsors and said, who are these kids? Where are they from? They're fabulous. You never know how you are going to be the one who blesses a life when you simply live out of a spirit of gratitude. You become that special agent of God creating peace. When I was hearing the story about our youth, I couldn't help but think about my grandson, Luke. You know, five years ago when we had our first year of, of gratitude, my daughter Kelly made sure that her children wrote a note every day. They were going to learn this process. And Luke was six, seven years old at that time. And she said, I remember when we first started off, he was sitting down there at the kitchen table. He was writing his note. And she saw this big smile come across his face. And she said, Luke, what are you smiling about? And he said, well, I'm writing a note to a new boy who just came to school. And I was telling him how I'm glad he came to school and what a nice guy he is. And I look forward to being his friend. And I thought of how happy he was going to feel when he got this note. In fact, I think I'm just going to call them my happy notes. Yeah. Whether it's to a waitress or a new boy in school, those happy notes. The notes that help you to feel a sense of peace when you have no idea how hard someone's life has been or the loneliness someone will feel, you become a special agent of God bringing peace when you live in a spirit of gratitude. And so third, to be a special agent of God, you've got to come to realize the only actions that you can control are your own. You can't control the actions of anybody else. Only your own. In this world, there's a lot of things going on that I wish I could control. Can't do it. I can't control ISIS or Al-Qaeda. 
I can't control if someone chooses to drive on a sidewalk and, and hurt innocent people. Can't control Kim Jong-il in North Korea. Can't control how our president will respond. I can't control Timothy McVeigh in a Oklahoma City. You know, you and I can't control other people's actions. And in our free will, people can choose to do those things that cause great pain. What I can choose is how I can control my own actions. What I do in the face of pain or hurt, I get to choose. And it's because of our faith that you and I can choose compassion and bless life regardless of what's happening out in the world around us. You and I get to choose. I was really moved by a story of a, of a lady named Sadako Sasiki. Sadako Sasiki. It, it turned out that back in August of 1945, her family lived in Hiroshima. They lived about a mile outside of the city. She was two years old that day that we dropped the atomic bomb. So many thousands of people were killed, but she survived, apparently unharmed. You know, Japan decided they wanted to rebuild Hiroshima. And so there was another family, Ritsuko Kamaki. Ritsuko Kamaki, her father had grown up in Hiroshima. And when he heard Japan was wanting to rebuild the city, he moved his family back two years after the bomb, not having any idea of all the dangers it would entail. But she moved back, and so Sadako and Ritsuko, they became great friends. They were the same age. Here they were very young now, four years old. They grew up playing together. They started going to school together. Ritsuko said that Sadako was just always such a, a happy kid, always seeing the best. They went to school together, but then when Sadako turned about nine years old, she started feeling anemic and tired. And what they discovered was she had leukemia, obviously because of the exposure to radiation. But Sadako know, knew the, the Japanese tradition. If you do a thousand origami cranes, if you fold a thousand origami cranes, cranes were the symbol of peace, well, then you will get your wish. And her wish was to be healed and to live. And so Sadako began folding these cranes, but Ritsuko began helping her as well. And other girls joined in, and they would fold a thousand origami cranes. But at 11 years old, Sudako succumbed to leukemia and she died. Her death was so painful to Ritsuko. But she and the other girls all decided that they wanted to remember their friend. So they went out and they began raising money. These kids raising money and they managed to raise a lot of money. Enough to build this incredible sculpture that today stands in the Hiroshima Peace Memorial Park. And it's this huge thing that looks like a bomb. And on top is the likeness of Sadako, a girl who is holding up a crane, the symbol of peace. And on the bottom are the words, the children cry, 
Let there be peace. There is another statue of there in her in the same garden area. It shows her as a child holding all these cranes, origami cranes. On the 60th anniversary, millions of origami cranes came from all over the world to be lying there at the base of the statue. Well, Ritsuko talked about her own life and said that her friend's death changed her life. And she decided she wanted to be a doctor. So when she graduated from high school there in Hiroshima, she came to the United States. She went to school in Wisconsin. She would ultimately go to medical school. And she became a radiation oncologist. She has spent her career at the University of Texas MD Anderson Medical Center there in Houston, Texas as a radiation oncologist. As one who is able to see the power of radiation that can kill, she wanted to use the power of radiation to heal. It was on March the 10th, 2011, she got a grant from Japan to come back home to Japan for five years to try to recruit more doctors to go into radiation therapy and to get people to be open to radiation therapy because in Japan, people don't like to go get a radiation oncologist or use radiation to treat cancer because of all the association with death. And so doctors won't become radiation oncologists and use the therapy And there's so much that is needed. So she was coming home on March the 10th, the day of the great earthquake and the tsunami and how the nuclear plant began to break down and radiation coming out into the air. And she would spend all of these coming years working so hard to try to say, do you understand? Radiation can kill, but radiation can heal. We can give our lives to healing. She was being interviewed after her experience of being there and reflecting on her friend Sadako. I want to read you what she said. When Sadako died, I could have just been sad and angry. Instead of getting angry and making enemies, we have to make peace. To make the bad things into better things and overcome horror with hope. When Jesus rode into Jerusalem, their eyes were kept from seeing the things that make for peace. And it would lead to the horror of the crucifixion on Friday. But through God's grace, it would lead to the hope of an Easter Sunday morning. Can you and I be special agents of God for peace? When we decide that everybody is a child of God and show compassion when we live out of a spirit of gratitude when you and I remember that we have the power to control our actions in the face of struggles and pain we still get to choose how we respond no the truth is you can be a special agent for God of peace. It is an impossible 
possibility. It's in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let each of us lift up our own silent prayer. Amen.